ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, and welcome once again to Out of the Tower, where we find philosophy and tech neck and neck. So we have a very, very special guest with us here today. It is Al Genie. He is the Professor Emeritus of Business Ethics at Loyola University Chicago, and also is the co-founder and associate editor of Business Ethics Quarterly. He was also the resident philosopher on NPR's Chicago affiliate, uh, WBEZ-FM, for over 20 years. Uh, he does a lot of work in lecturing and consulting work to communities and other professional organizations as well. And today we are going to be discussing uh, something perhaps a little bit unexpected for this podcast, something that we uh, have not really done before. We usually focus on uh, philosophy and in very particular uh, tech. But we're actually going to be bringing comedy into the focus here today um, in light of two of the professor's most recent works uh, on the importance of comedy in our lives and society at large. Those texts happen to be uh, The Sanity of Satire, Surviving Politics, One Joke at a Time, uh, co-written with Abraham Singer, and of course, uh, The Importance of Being Funny, Why We Need More Jokes in Our Lives. So, Professor, thank you so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure. So, you know, I just really want to jump right into this. Um, Where did just this sudden uh, surge in interest of... um, uh, comedy come from? Because when I, I was reading the text, it really just seemed to be something that initially started to, I could be wrong with this, but kind of was a bit of a side interest, but it was something that you very much treasured along with Abraham Singer. Where did this all come from? Um, it started when I, um, I'm 77. It started when I understood uh, uh, any language when I was one or two years old, because comedy for me started with my Uncle Joe. And I wish I could do this in Italian because it has greater gravitas, at least for me. But every time my Uncle Joe saw me, uh, from the time I was a child until the week that he died when I was well into my 60s, my Uncle Joe would grab me in the embrazio, and as he drew me in just before the kiss on the cheek, he would say, did you hear the one about and tell me a joke? And rarely did he ever repeat himself over the years. Oh, on occasion he did, especially some of my favorite ones, and I actually remember my favorite one, and maybe I'll tell you later. But he did this all the time. And somewhere in my youth, in my teenage years, when I was some, somewhat rebellious, I said, Uncle Joe, que cosa fai? What are you doing here? Why do you always tell me a joke? And he looked at me and he pushed, he pushed back and he looked at me and he said, stupido, because I love you. If I didn't love you, why would I want to make you laugh? Laughter is a gift and a tool. Use it wisely in life. We need humor. Otherwise, tutte cose e pazzo. Everything is crazy. So it began, it began It began. at my uncle and my grandmother's knee, and my uncle learned it from my grandmother, who was this uh, wise and wonderful woman who laughed at everything because, perché no, your argument was, everything's hard, life is tough, and you've got to laugh at it a little bit. And then I met this guy, kind of an interesting guy, you may have heard of him, uh, uh, Brooks, uh, Brooks, oh, Mel Brooks. That's him. Really? The one and only. Yeah, the one and only. And I got to interview him about 20 years ago. But I've been a fan of his for years and years. In fact, I got to interview him when they were doing the pre-show of the producers in Chicago, the play. And uh, and he really is five foot four. And you've never made, seen more energy in your life. And then the last five years, I've seen him twice perform at a major theater when he was doing these road shows of he would come on stage for an hour and a half after he showed one of his old films and he's in his nineties at this point. And, and he was doing shtick and they had to drag him off after an hour and a half of live, you know, interaction with the audience and telling setups and so on and so forth. He even told his first joke to us um, that he ever told and talked about the importance of comedy. And for him, comedy is this double-edged sword. Maybe I'm going too quickly right now, but in one sense, he says, you need comedy to be entertained to survive, to laugh, you know, to get, it helps get through the day, you know. But in another sense, he says, we need comedy because besides the little stuff, life is hard and you got to laugh at it. If you don't laugh at it, it's overwhelming. So he says in one of his books that that's the reason God, for every 10 Jews that God made, one of them had to be a comic. <laughs> one had to be a doctor. <laughs> one, two had to be a doctor. Da, 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 da. One had to be a comic. Otherwise, everybody would be moaning. And he talked about humor in this evolving sense of really being you know, a way to escape, this lovely interlude, a, a way to laugh. The silly parts of humor are real, you know, just a sight gag. Um, and, and, but then later in life, and of course, it runs through all of his work, but he talked about later in life with the producers. The producers 
even in the film, which I think is uh, the uh, not the film, um, the film of the play is not as good as the play itself. The, the energy of the play is so much. But that's a famous interlude of springtime for Hitler of Germany, you know, and the, the, the chorus line, so on and so forth. It's so absurd. And he said, it's satire. I'm saying, screw you, you're dead, we're alive. That's my satirical response to him versus the Flata scene in Blazing Saddles. He says, that's comedy. That's laughter, right? Who cannot laugh at a gr bunch of guys eating beans and the, and, the, and the immediate response, right? But Springtime and Hitler for Germany is funny, but it's really satire. And there is a difference, and let's not rush too quickly into it, between comedy and satire. But overall, I think we need to laugh. I think we want to laugh. And I think we uh, there, that satire may be the kind of the cutting edge when we think in regard to politics, but we are political animals. But, you know, we, we joke about everything in life, death, marriage, children, money, right. sex, of course. Um, but it's an attempt for relief. It isn't always answers. And, and if we really was this is a graduate school, um, you know, kind of experience, the elusive question to ask is what's comedy? And what's amazing about comedy or amazing about humor is what E.B. White said. It's like dissecting a frog. Few people get it or are interested in it, and the frog dies, right? <laughs> um, and so do you really want to talk about comedy? It's like, let's analyze porno. Uh, no, let's watch porno, right? <laughs> That's I just finished it. Great, you know, it's my Saturday afternoon entertainment, but um, I'm, it's cold. You're you're in the warm weather. It's it's we're inside here, so we need you know. I, I don't like it. I just got to do something. Um, but anyway, to be serious, that we need humor. It's not just foolish fun, although it can be foolish fun. It, humor is also a sword and a shield that we use to defend ourselves against reality. It's a barrier. It's a way to stay away. It's a, it's a way it allows us to poke fun of our fears and our frailties. It allows us, and here's my favorite phrase, to defang um, some of the, you know, exquisite little pains in our lives. I think that's a very important distinction, actually. And I, I think the sword and the shield analogy that you drew there is actually very on point, especially when you were referring to how uh, Brooks uh, saw his, uh, uh, the I believe, the show within the show, uh, Springtime for Hitler. It's, it, it's essentially, I believe the way it was uh, put in the books was it's essentially his way, him spitting in the face of these terrible atrocities and saying, I, I've come out on top, yeah. I've won, I've got the last laugh. And that yeah, is yeah. actually something that's something I have definitely felt the spirit of as I've been trying to uh, move forward along here. I will say between, you know, the distinction you seem to be drawing between comedy and satire, do you find yourself on a more professional or even just a personal everyday daily life routine, a sort of manner, uh, gravitating towards one more than the other? Well, in, in reality, one can't walk around uh, as a student of philosophy uh, quoting pious, pithy, uh, Socratic uh, idioms. Uh, after a while, they go, grandpa or dad or honey, shut up. Um, so I think I joke a lot. But satire really means something. You know, satire is, is, is connected to sarcasm. You're trying to bite um, and satire, real satire, as Lenny Bruce suggested at one point, I'm not a comic, I'm a satirist. After a while, he wasn't funny at all. I actually saw him at a club in Chicago when I was a very young, I was uh, only three, I think at the time, uh, <laughs> actually in graduate school. Um, and he, it, we almost booed him. It was so bad because he had a rant. He was just telling stories and they were important stories, but it wasn't funny at all. And his point was, I think that satire can be something else, but I think both satire and comedy reflect what Nietzsche said, by the way, not a funny guy. Oh, I've heard. I've heard. I, heard know, I, I mean, you know, a couple of beers, maybe you loosen them up, but believe me, I didn't no. enjoy them at all. But oh, uh, yes. he said, we have art in order not to die of the truth. We have comedy, not to be overwhelmed by reality. Uh, and that if you don't laugh at some things, what are you caught with? In fact, the quote that you uh, 
it showed that you at least got to chapter six in the book. Uh, so, so far you're passing the course, but we'll see about the last question. Okay. Oh, here's hope I can and do so, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that uh, you, you quoted the Brooks in regard to the Jewish situation. Brooks, in the chapter on Jews and humor, we talk about there are lots of reasons for Jews being humor. Why is it the fact that, you know, 19, 1965, 89% of all comics were Jews? Uh, these were people coming out of World War II and so on and so forth. And there's this argument that can be seen in Jewish history that not every Jew was trying to be a political commentator, but the fact was that you laughed because you just came out of a terrible experience. You laughed because you had to, but laughed because you were always in a program of one sort or another, always the under the untermenschen somewhere in the world. I just saw uh, an, uh, a clip of William Buckley and, and Groucho Marx being inter Buckley interviewing Marx. It's a brilliant thing. You can find it on YouTube. You're young enough to figure that out. Somebody <laughs> sent it to me. Um, and it's, it's, it's funny. It's fun. I was just going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I feel like I'm entering the very first stage of my life where me and all of the other people within my age group are starting to feel what it's like um, to feel true age because the age of the internet has truly accelerated at least yeah, yeah. the feeling of, of it all. It's so yeah, amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can find anything right now. And, you, and it's interesting. You could go back there, but um, uh, Buckley asks him in his usual pedantic manner, oh, you, you, know, uh, you know, are you a funny man he said oh, no, I'm not, i don't think reality is funny at all and i'm i don't even think of myself as funny but i'm a i'm a comedic actor and i really believe that the world needs jokes but not much funny about the world and there's this famous quote that he gave it another time if it weren't for the brief respite that we comedian actors give the world without our foolishness the world would would face mass suicide um or the death rate of lemmings and I and like Brooks there. I agree with that. And I think there's a strong strain, although I would not, I would not, and I do not say that comedy comes out of the Jewish experience, but the Jewish experience certainly crystallizes the essence of humor besides fart jokes. I think that's a, um, a very succinct way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that we need to tell these jokes because, oh, and there's a whole body of literature uh, on, believe it or not, on, on concentration camp jokes. Not that they were, not that they sat around with their cup of gruel at night and says, did you hear the one about? You know, it wasn't <laughs> right. the case at all. But they did tell each other stories. And Victor Frankl, uh, the famous Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, which to me still remains the single most important book I've read in my life. Um, and I'm regularly asked as a student of philosophy, you know, can you name the most important book? And, and that's it. Uh, and that's always it for me. But Frankel talks about, you know, when a colleague got was beaten up by one of the guards and the guards slapping him around and the guard says, Schwein! Uh, and and, and, the, and the, the guy looks up and says, picks up his hand and says, Cohen, nice to meet you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, he didn't survive that. Um, but the, the one I get that, that's the most elegant is uh, Sarah and Mata uh, in line in, the, in, the, in Auschwitz being counted in the morning. Sarah looks at Mata and says, you lose weight. You look good. You know, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You lost some weight. You look good. Oh, Talk about spitting in the face uh, of hell. huh? So uh, Franco talked about this need to not lose one's spirit, so on and so forth. If it's possible, if it's even possible that there were some people to joke, again, not telling jokes, but found something funny. To survive, think how important it is to, to uh, that we use it to de-escalate and, and to use. One of my favorite philosophers is, of course, the famous philosopher Joan Rivers, who said, "If you could laugh at it, you could live with it." And there's something to be said about that. Um, unfortunately, the criticism of that comment is that a fool will laugh at anything, and so will a sadist. Uh, so I think it has to be judiciously applied. But I think that there is a truism there. It's interesting that um, you, you mentioned just now that a fool has the capacity to laugh at anything, mm. and by extension, you put the, you could be inadvertently putting the power of sadists. So, I think that I, I just I just find that very striking just now, just that that very particular, almost precarious dynamic. But that actually does lead into the next thing I wanted to uh, mention because you know we do t you do talk about how much we need comedy, we need satire because mm -hmm. if you're if you're not laughing, you're screaming and you're despairing at all of the horrors of this grand black joke that is the world. Now 
I will say uh, in the sanity of satire, there was a passage that I did find uh, unbelievably striking, and I could not believe how much it connected to uh, certain elements of my daily life. Um, the example that was being given was how I believe it was at the uh, White House uh, press secretary, and I apologize for my lack of uh, terminology on that part. But uh, essentially, it was – I believe it was Stephen Colbert who was uh, doing a lot of the talking. And a lot of the uh, jokes that he did make, I believe, were at the expense of um, Justice Antoine Scalia at the time. But it, you mentioned that out of all the people in the room who were being the butt of these jokes, he was the only one who was able to take it. He was able to laugh along with it. Yeah, and, yeah. The po- and the point that was being illustrated is that um, – and I thought this was, again, very, very – just hit the nail on the head. I just could never put into words all these years. It's being able to – have your chops busted uh, to better confront issues by being playful without excusing opposing views and ultimately acknowledge that we are, quote, doing something together. And what I found striking about that is j- just in my daily life with you know the people that I meet and the people that I, I speak with, um, I don't mean to draw upon too heavily of you know the past administration, but I've definitely known people in my life who really don't see – whether they realize it or not, uh, politics as a joking matter. I've definitely had people who I think are great, are lovely, and I would, I would, you know, a grenade, bullet, all manner of fatal, <laughs> fatal, fatal devices to protect their lives. But they they can become understandably fiery, but fiery nonetheless, almost like that. And so I wanted to just understand, do you think any of that spirit of doing something together has been lost to, to an yeah, extent? Yeah, do you yeah, think, do you yeah. think it can be recovered? What are your thoughts? Well, we wrote the book. Um, I started writing the, uh, the second book with Abe um, before the Trump administration. And then we decided as the Trump administration going on, and then we cite the Trump administration in there, that it's too easy to just stay on that. And in fact, we... The disclaimer in the book is uh, um, Lewis Black saying, uh, and he half meant it in a routine, I'm giving up comedy, I'm giving up writing comedy, I'm giving up doing comedy. Hell, how can you be funnier than the damn headlines? How can you be funnier than what the administration says every day? How can you be that, you're more bizarre, so on and so forth? And again, that's mimicking you know, Will Rogers saying the same thing. I don't write comedy. I just read the headlines. I just uh, talk to politicians. That's exactly what uh, uh, what um, the uh, author of Tom Sawyer said about, right? Uh, uh, let's talk about comedy or politicians. Excuse me. Either one will do. Uh, you know, the, the, the thought of politics is something that you have to make fun of, poke fun at. And I think satire, comedy is entertainment, distraction, a temporary coping device. Satire, in fact, Abe and I argue that maybe the first jokes were not fart jokes, sex jokes, but satirical jokes. That is jokes about political relationships. And all of life is politics, as Aristotle talks about it. And civilization comes from the word civitas in Greek, civis in Greek, meaning a member of a group. A, a, a participant member of a group. That's where we begin to make comments about. And satire is different than comedy in that you're trying to say something larger. You're trying to draw attention to something. Satirists are making fun of a situation. Good satirists are making fun of a situation to highlight that situation to perhaps bring us awareness that a corrective is needed. That's a difference. And I'm blanking on his name right now because I'm old and you're young. Uh, but the gentleman from Saturday Night Live, the Irishman from New York. Is that what I'm uh, supposed to be feeling? Yeah, yeah, well, yes. No, not yet. So the Irishman from New York. I can't think of his name right now. Help me. Can you remember who this person is? Um, uh, okay. He said, okay. Uh, okay. He said, Saturday Night, uh, you know, left there. And he says that all of life is about making fun of our relationships with others because we're trying to make it better. We're trying to understand it in a different way. A sex joke is a sex joke. You know, you, it's, it, it can be kind or cruel and all these kinds of things. But when... But in the spirit of Lenny Bruce, in the spirit of Tom, uh, Tom Sawyer, or, or 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 the author of Tom Sawyer, that you're really trying to make a corrective here. And I think satire, um, I think satirists are militant uh, humorists. Uh, actually, they're militant contrarians. They're trying to say something about the situation and hold it up for scorn, for ridicule, not even scorn, ridicule, and say, do we need this? Now, what Trump has done is created a whole industry of satirists. The 1030 shows, 
you know, I, I mean, there, there, it used to be that that Johnny Carson or or, or Jay Leno or um, the chap on uh, CBS told a political joke, a one-off to begin with. But now these shows are all all politics all the time. Now, uh, you know, uh, the uh, John, excuse me, John. Help me, I'm blanking right now. It's Saturday afternoon, John. Uh, um, why does it have to be such a common name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> John Williams uh, and and his show um, talked. You know, they were they weren't giving false news. They were making fun of the news, and that changed the brand of humor and how it applied. And I think that you know, as I said to E.B. White, analyzing humor is like dissecting a frog. It's hard. What piece do we want to look at? But I think what's happened is politics has always been a bridge. Trump has just made it in our face and that we can't avoid it. He's, you know, he opened every day. Now, this is done sometime uh, into the, what, eighth week of, of the Biden administration. And the one relief, just as a political animal, which I am, is I don't have to check the tweets every morning. I don't have to see what outrageous or funny, uh, you know, satirical thing he said, oh, yes. thing that he said you can make fun of, right? Um, and, and if you've noticed, the president administration is going out of its way to be policy-driven pleasant, but not not offering a lot of windows for smirky commentary right now because they're trying to bring down the temperature a bit, right? They're trying to say politics is a serious business, which it is. Uh, but I think Trump opened the gates um, to, uh, to, to so much uh, in, our, in our modern and contemporary world. And, you know, and I think, though, in taking a modern comic, Michael, uh, Keegan-Michael Kay and Jordan Peele, who have broken up, unfortunately, and they're both talented men and they're doing wonderful in their separate careers, but I love them together because they were satirists of everything, you know, with their faces, with their voices, so on and so forth. But they said somewhere along the line, we've forgotten the true purpose of humor, comedy, uh, satire, is to help people cope with the fears and horrors of the world and perhaps correct them on occasion. No, I, I completely agree. And I think what's especially needed uh, personally, I think, in this day and age of remembering the spirit of that we're doing something together, because as I mentioned, I have known so many people in my life who d don't really see it as us part of this grand continuum of civilization. It really is. It, it, they, they make it out to seem like this grand battle for the soul of humanity as manifested in politics. And they forget that, you know, there is, there needs to be a sense of doing something together through humor, through satire, through comedy. And I do think it is striking uh, that you, I didn't even realize until you brought it up that this new, the new administration is kind of being dry, kind of being humorless, but for the sake of bringing down the temperature. See, but humorless is, um, I mean, without excessive humor, right, to bring down the temperature, to say the, the gravitas. Now, if you watch the presidential uh, inaugural address and the first major address he did intelligent, and I'm not trying to defend Mr. Biden in any way. I'm just trying to be an observer right now. Certainly. He certainly. smiled, tried to be human. He made a comment about every person who asked him a question in the CNN thing. And then he's a policy wonk, and he gave policy. When was the last time you heard policy uh, uh, in the last administration? Um, you know, it just wasn't the way. He gave charismatic ejaculations. Write that down. That's a phrase that should be in everyone's vocabulary. I think, I think uh, I'm going to get that embroidered. And yeah, yeah. Framed. I'm seriously, charismatic ejaculations, because he was talking about his own vision of the world and, uh, you know, uh, and this about me. But satire in American politics has been part of American politics. Um, John Adams wrote incredibly pithy, nasty comments about Thomas Jefferson and hired someone to do it. And, and no, and then Jefferson hired a, a commentator to write about him. There's a Grover Cleveland, who nobody talks about anymore. I don't know why. He's a great guy. He was elected twice, separately, right? We, do we oh, ever yes. talk about him? We need more of him. Yeah, we need more of him. And, and he had an insurance company. did pretty good. Um, but uh, he had an illegitimate child. And so when he was running at one point, the, the, the opposition had a song put out. Ma, ma, where's your pa? Gone to the White House. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> to, you know, to, to, uh, to uh, kind of uh, 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 you know, raise a scandal about it all. Commentary. Look at the pictures of Abraham Lincoln. Pictures um, that would be now libelous um, by him, dressed as a monkey. Uh, and in fact, Scanton once called him a long arm ape to his face um, and, and walked away from him. His secretary of defense, at the secretary of war, before he was secretary of war, he refused to work with him on a project and call him a long arm ape. Um, 
but we made fun of people all the time is what we did you know warren harding uh kelvin coolidge silent cal there's this famous joke about kelvin coolidge that he was very very terse and very and a woman came up to him at a major function this is president coolidge i've bet five thousand dollars that i could say that get you to say more than four words he looked at her and says you're wrong madam I remember. I remember reading that somewhere. And just I was in absolute tears, just yeah, absolute yeah, tatters. Yeah. And and certainly we know that Richard Nixon had not a scintilla of of humor in him that wasn't either burlesque or slapstick. I think everyone laughs at a pie in the face. Oh yes. Um. Um. I I I I, I cannot watch the Three Stooges. And yet oh, I cannot boy. stop in watching. I can't stop watching uh, the the, uh, the, three, the Marx Brothers, right? An entirely different venue. And by the way, if you want to know how serious humor can be, the number of books, including one published by Yale four years ago, the name of which escapes me because I'm a senior citizen and I'm old, um, that um, that was a group of manic depressives. That was one uptight group. They did comedy, but they were existentially really strung out. And that comedy was their joy juice that kept them going. I'll have to look into that. That sounds therapeutic for the likes of me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, building upon that, I was hoping now that we could uh, get to, or rather I should say, there is one question that I really was looking forward to uh, bringing up um, because uh, towards the uh, the climax, if you will, of the story. Did I miss else. something? I'm sorry. Did I miss no, something? No, go ahead. No, sorry. no. Okay. No, um, no, no. Uh, t- towards the end of uh, the sanity of better, satire. Better choice um, of words. Very oh, good. oh, God, there is a difference. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> um, there is a debate between you and uh, Singer about the ethics of He's uh, wrong. good comedy. Next question. Good... Next question. Next question. <laughs> okay, next question. No, no. I, I, I think, you know. I think I think you know we can all agree that he's wrong, but um, no, I'm just I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good debate. It's a good debate. Yeah. Go but ahead. W- one thing I was just hoping that you might be able to expand upon a little bit more is uh, in your uh, arguments uh, through a lot of your argument there, you uh, brought up how uh, towards the end of it, at least, how having a very um, how should I how should I say sort of a scathing look of um, just just sort of a really scathing attitude towards something that might be new or might be unsure. Is it really a mark of someone who's trying to point something out and say, oh, this needs correction uh, through roundabout yet ultimately therapeutic and the corrective means that satire does offer? But rather, as I believe uh, Arthur uh, Kersler puts it, um, it is a, uh, to paraphrase him at least, it's a demonstration of a fear and hatred of that which is new without ever really thinking about whether or not this is something that off the bat deserves the condemnation that satire is known for and rather it's more of an indictment against the individual um and a real corrosive stubbornness if you will i i was it, it's arguably my favorite part of the of that particular text and i i just i just Again, it was one of those things where I had been struggling to put into words for many times because I, I'd sensed that sensation before, but I never knew quite how to describe it. And I just like, there it is. So are you okay. able to expand upon that a little bit more? I think I think your interpretation of of my uh, segment, what, what we did in that chapter is uh, we divided it. Uh, uh, Abe's argument, uh, Abraham Singer's argument, who is a brilliant young man. Yes. And on whose shoulders I uh, will gladly stand. Um, absolutely brilliant young man. Um, um, his argument is that any joke um, is acceptable. Now, first of all, Ted Cohen argues that right. we have to accept the fact that a joke is funny even if it's horrible. Um, that is, uh, that that joke I told about Sarah and Martha, I could not tell in a mixed group. You wouldn't tell that someplace. That joke is an you know is part of innate part of that world experience and only makes sense there. But there are racist jokes that are really funny and told to an audience of racists would bring down the house, right? There are misogynist jokes that the logic and structure of that joke is incredibly funny and would bring down a, a, a house of misogynists. Abe's argument is you could push a joke to the farthest end 
and, and even though you're you're telling them a, a joke that's about misogynism, but you're anti-misogynistic, and if you could carry it off, that's okay. That comedy should be cutting edge, should be critical, should be controversial, and should be um, uh, open this up to other things. Yes. I think that's a possibility, and, and you've seen people do it. On the other hand, I want to argue that, and so I want to say that your suggestion that my position that I think that, okay, your position is that, are you taking it that uh, I, I, I may I, have been I, rejecting, I, I may be rejecting because it's new. No, 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 no. I happen to be rejecting some jokes that were new because they were about modern racism. I wouldn't reject a joke because it's new or because it's not part of my milieu. Right, right. Okay. Well, I, I want to reject it. Go ahead. I, I should just I should just clarify quickly. First of all, I, I apologize. I should have uh, set that up and uh, clarified a bit more. Uh, I, I was more trying to uh, delve into the idea um, that you at least seem to be suggesting uh, in your side of the argument that it, it's not that offensive or outrageous jokes um, are necessarily bad, or even that uh, new ones, you know, should should be should be you know we should st stay away from those because obviously we need to be very topical right. uh, in comedy uh, and jokes, satire. Jokes have a very short life. I mean, you need them. I'm not going to tell you funny jokes about um, um, Abraham Lincoln or, or not Abraham, you know, somebody from the 1856. It just doesn't make any sense. Of right? course, of course, uh, absolutely. I, I was more trying. Um, I'm more trying to get to the idea. The, the specific idea that uh, in the example you used of uh, Louis C.K.'s stand-up and yeah. his uh, bit about the Parkland shooting, right, right. It, it, it wasn't that it was, you know, that being funny or outrageous or even topical is a bad thing. It's more about, um, and by using Arthur Kersler that you were using in the text, it's more about the idea that there can be a comedian, a satirist who – in approaching those matters and trying to be funny, it's not so much that they're trying to point out an issue that says, look how ridiculous this is, this needs to be corrected, or look how funny this can be. It's more about them coming from a place not of comedy or satire or a desire to understand and correct, but more just a genuine, albeit very well-hidden fear and hatred of the unknown or the new or the pretentious. No, I think you, if, you, if you had stopped at satire, you were right. I think it is satire. In fact, Abe and I use that joke, and Abe's understanding is that joke is outrageous. Yes, yes. But it's a, but he's telling a joke. It is structurally funny, and because we know who Louis C.K. is, we know he's not a big – in fact, Louis C.K. got away with all kinds of rape jokes. Before, oh, yes, before oh, yes. His instant, and all kinds of misogynistic jokes because he was so pro-feminine, uh, uh, feminist, such a pro-feminist that, that the women, all the women come and said, no, 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 we know who he's coming from. This is a joke. It's clear. He's doing something against type. Right. I wanted to say more than anything else that it's a dangerous joke to tell. It's somewhat distasteful and it was too soon. And it come and it there's too large of an audience out there, as we know now, that thinks it was all phony, and 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 it doesn't. There's no pathos in it. Look, it's uh, the three rules of real estate. You know it, even though you're living in, especially in posh California. It's location, 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 right? Right. Three rules of comedy is audience, audience, audience. Who's yes, your audience? Yes. Do you tell your mother an oral sex joke? No. Even the funniest damn oral sex joke you've ever heard. No. And if you did, you're damn drunk and you're going to pay for it somewhere along the line. Okay. Right. Um, that's a funny joke. He's really saying, why, why, why do these kids get to be interviewed? Just because they didn't die? Right. It's right, so absurd right. that it is funny, but it's also can be construed as a hate. Yes. Yes. And I, and my major argument and I'll, and I'll cave into any example. I'll gladly give it an example is of course comedy has to avoid hatred. Comedy has to avoid um, um, that, that, that kind of thing. You can't tell racist jokes. That wasn't a racist joke. You just can't. You can't tell funny. There's a man, a football coach, a football, excuse me, a basketball coach, who's being suspended now from a major, major program in America, Creighton University, because he used the word plantation. Now, I'm not defending him. Of course, of course. He's got a black team, you know, essentially a black team, and that's a buzzword. 
right? It's like calling a woman a bitch. <laughs> just don't do that. That's that's just inappropriate language. Precisely. Uh, you know, um, you, you may call your best friend who's a woman, you bitch. Of course, of course. But yes. but that's that's different, you know. Um, I, so I think it's language. It's audience, audience, audience. It's timing, timing, timing. When can you tell a joke? Uh, uh, Godfrey Cambridge, you know, lost multi, I think, $28 million contract doing Aflac commercials because he told tsunami jokes too soon. I, uh, yes, I do remember that. Uh, yeah, and, and, you're just, and he's gone. He's absolutely gone. I, I'm blanking on the woman's name. Again, it's Saturday afternoon, and I haven't taken my nap. Um, the, the, the female comic who was on the, uh, the show, had her own show, and did the, did the presidential thing and was just outrageous, she's gone. You know, uh, uh, the, the gal from Oak Park who came up with Trump's head, too much. Right? She, she has Kathy Griffin. She hasn't been able to get work. She doesn't mean to work, even though people probably agree with her politically now, right? Um, it's how you say it, when you say it, what you mean. Lenny Bruce came off whew, some of his routines when he was trying to be funny, really pressing. Wow, too far. Just too far. And I think comics have to be careful about that. There's a responsibility. I couldn't go into a classroom. I remember a professor who, who, who went, it was a linguistic class and came in furious at her class, you know, and in fury and said, you son of a bitches. And then went on and on about why you haven't done your work. You just and swearing and swearing and swearing. And just these students are cowering. And she just comes up full stop. And this is a tiny little slip of a thing. See how language hurts? See how I, see how I just changed the room? Oh, yes. See how I just changed everything exactly. here? There are people who tell, not anti-women jokes, that when they tell it, it's misogynistic. When I tell it, right? Hopefully, it's clever. Yeah. Absolutely, I, I can certainly read right, uh, right. the room, or rather, right. two rooms in this context. I, I, and again, I should clarify: I, perhaps I put too much uh, stock in the reference to uh, yeah, no, but, but, but you're, you're, you're onto something there, and too. that's the dilemma of comedy. When can you say, you know, uh, 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 I remember the quote um, Robin Williams said: "Satire uh, allows us to uh, allows us to show off that the Pope farts. It's funny, right? But that's right. right. Satire is trying to show up the the little stuff uh, and the big stuff, and so on and so forth. And, and you, but you could you could apply that quote to humor as well. I mean, again, the 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 uh, the bean sequence in Blazing Sandals. But if you watch all of Blazing Sandals, there's all kinds of political satire in there. A black man." In a dark room with a white woman? Are you kidding? I, I, I will never forget the, the the moment when they're all um, welcoming the new sheriff into town, and that banner, right. that right. welcome banner, just daintily falls. Excuse me <laughs> yeah, while right, I whip right. this out. Right. And, Brilliant. And, and and it's on and on and on, and it's it is satire, but it's also just outrageous comedy. I mean, the horse is being hung <laughs> along with you know. Along, along with the people, uh, what's his name, hitting, hitting the horse. It, it was both comedy, clowning, and vicious, vicious uh, satire. Um, and you could see that, especially using a black man to be the lead, and that was certainly the most telling political satirical moment in the film. But all of life is that way. You know, what, one of the things that I find out is, um, you know, I, I've learned, because I love my grandkids, I don't, but. I'm supposed to say that, you know. Yeah, really. Well, you know who does, really. <laughs> um, uh, is that, you know, just to compound just, just, your it's, it's, it's correct. So, In fact, we've found the COVID-19 um, a blessing. We haven't seen them in a year. And I'm not getting a shot because this could go on forever as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, um, I found that the true joy in life is to make a child laugh. A true sin in life is to laugh at a child. And, um, and I don't mean laugh at the child's joke. I mean, laugh at that child. You know? And so, right. but I do think that uh, my study of humor is because I really do think that there's so much in life that is unavoidable, irresolvable, and ununderstandable. And that the, the absurdity and, and the perplexity of life often makes it so incomprehensible, but we have to go on. You know, I've been a student of philosophy my whole life. I'm, I'm doing it because of COVID now, six and seven hours a day. I'm reading the Stoics, trying to find some hinge 
some rational hinge um, that's more than just spiritualism because faith resolves a lot of things, but there's nothing reasonable about it. So I'm trying to find some reasonable, and I can't find it as easily as I can in, in reading a good comedic script and listening to a Jerry Seinfeld, who makes comedy, by the way, his book, his new book is out. It's all his jokes. And you see him evolve over a 40-year period. He's now 64, I believe. And he did satire about the commonalities, you know. Just brilliant. I mean, I, I just remember one right now. He said uh, the best part of a the best part of a wedding is for the bride for the groom is he knows that her family knows that he's going to have sex with her tonight and they can't do anything about it. <laughs> he said he couldn't make that claim the week before the wedding, right? Uh, but that is that, isn't oh, that brilliant. That's I mean, they're just it's absolutely brilliant. Or, or you know, he does a routine about. You've seen the difference between how men sign checks and women make checks. He does these little epistles about life. Some of them are just ha ha ha, like fart jokes, and others go whoo. Right. Just dig all the way in, right? Um, and, and there's something wonderful about it. My wife and I have been, because we have this TV that apparently is connected to everything ever printed or, or made, we've been watching the early Seinfeld stuff. <laughs> and I realized I stopped watching it because after a while I thought they all needed deep therapeutic help. You know, George and, and all of them needed help. But initially there was some brilliant bits. And in the earlier ones, he would have an experience in life and then he would translate it to a joke on stage. Um, you're probably, you probably go back and see that you weren't around when the first ones came out, but he, so he, he shows how he uses a moment in life and a comedic moment on stage. And what comedy has to do is touch a commonality, right? Marriage jokes wouldn't be funny if all of us didn't have some issues about marriage, right? Dating jokes wouldn't be funny if, you know, if, if, if you didn't have, if there weren't certain common issues in that. So I do think that, um, there, while there are no answers to these things, and I wish there were, th that gives us a handle. I think comedy confronts, names, examines, exposes things, both the absurdities and the trivialities, and offers us something. Um, Woody Allen said, I tell jokes for the same reason I read, to try to figure things out. Um, Woody Allen's not someone you're supposed to be commenting about right now. And if you're watching the HBO special, whoo. Um, it's kind of over the top, uh, but comedic writers, you know, have always been thought of. We could do the. Whole, we haven't done anything about clowns and uh, and about gestures, but there's a whole tradition that the gesture could speak truth to power because they were the conscience of the king, but only the gesture. And by the way, he had to have his outfit on because the same comment made by a nobleman in a funny way, but without the costume, meant off of his head. But the gesture could make fun. And every tradition, every European tradition and many American Indian traditions, many, many traditions uh, uh, have that notion of the jester who is allowed to make fun. So I want to suggest that humor can be frivolous, flippant, you know, absurdist, angry, mocking, vulgar, dirty. But it's not, it's not always useless. It's not denial or escapism or, or narcotic. Although, the, the, you know, the fool is the person who laughs at everything. And... and and who needs that? And and I try not to be the crazy uncle. I don't walk into family or the crazy grandpa. I don't walk into family uh, outings and say, "Did you hear the one about?" I used to do that, but I got slapped around quite a bit, so I stopped doing that. Um, you can't, you can't be. You no, know, you know. Oh, yeah, here we go. So Uncle Al is here. Oh my God! Now we're going to listen to, you know, three hours of the, what, what he's read. No, but I do think that we're talking about jokes, humor, as a self-defense mechanism, as a way of dealing with life. So uh, to start to wrap things up here a little bit more, um, uh, just uh, dabbling a little bit in uh, the importance of being funny, actually. Um, you did mention that uh, uh, when you would teach, um, you would uh, often use humor to get Absolutely. students interested in philosophy. I found I found that peculiar because uh, one of uh, previous um, – guest that I've actually had on this podcast, uh, he often uh, talks, he often talked about his means of trying to hook uh, non-philosophy students or non-philosophy um, individuals into getting interested about it. And he was particularly um, referring to 
those whose mindset is more deeply rooted in the sciences and that if you come at them with a lot of either opaque or language that say that 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 completely puts them off and they're like oh i I would never want to learn about this no there's nothing about my life that's philosophical and he comes at it from a uh, different angle uses completely different language his real forte is the way in which you use language and then they without even realizing it don't realize they're they've been asking philosophical questions the whole time so in that respect what have been some of your most successful instances of using humor just if any you know stories come to mind well, first of all, I think it's, it's I think it's your general demeanor when you walk in a classroom. I, I'm hoping that even in this conversation, you realize I was not one of those. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And now chapter four. It's a long chapter. So we'll start with the first word, the, <laughs> you know, um, um, and the meaning thereof, uh, Mr. Smith. No, no, I was a dramatist. I came in the classroom and today Lincoln and Gettysburg. Um, but I I think you remember a comic. Um, they're a persona on stage. One of the things I learned from comedy, uh, from comics and going, uh, dealing with comics is you got to be able to laugh at the same joke three times that night because you're doing three right. shows, right? And you got to really laugh at it. You got to forget the, how funny it is and then laugh at it. It's not just acting. You got to keep your sense of humor about it. And so you have to have a humorous persona. That is, you have to come in as, and your general you know, face is that of, hi, I'm alive and I'm here. So one of the things, and I've taught for 51 years, so the reputation, you know, preceded me a bit at last uh, those last uh, 25 years or so, that I was um, a good lecturer and that I made it interesting. And by that, if I, I was a piece of word gag there, I played with it, right? But in that chapter in the one book, yeah, I, I talk about specific jokes that fit, you know, each class and what that means and so on. It just was a way to start the notion, um, you know, about uh, uh, about things. And some of them are very good jokes, I think. Um, but I often and I often try to find a joke without them realizing this joke by slipping it in and then catching them off guard and they left and they brought them back. But I would not every day, but on a regular basis in a semester. See them, I was losing them, right? I, and, and although some of my classes were required, but also because I was kind of popular and taught sort of interesting classes on leadership and so on and so forth, I was jammed, right? So I got 60 to 100 students there. I'm losing them. You know, it's warm out. Young lady in the front row is not wearing a bra. Who knows? Right, right, you know, right. that everybody's, everybody's doing this. Um, and I would just stop and say, hey, did you hear the one about? And tell a joke. And got them laughing. Maybe two. And I said, now that we're here, can we go on? So there's a two-point problem to this. One is absolutely uh, philosophical. How can you show a bit of humor about a serious point by integrating that joke into into the into the species and into it? Uh, Epistema, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 the, the one I'm being, uh, the one I give about uh, uh, how to how to do Heidegger's being in time. And I open with a joke. The woman goes to a doctor for an examination. And he says, oh, I, 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 this is. I, this is sad news. I hate to tell you, I've been, I know I've kept you here this all afternoon because I had to test after the test, and I'm afraid there's no way of getting around this, but you're going to die in six months. There's just, there's no way. She says, what? She says, you've got this incurable series of diseases. I could cure one or two of them, but they're all, they're, there's too many of them. The drugs alone would kill you if I try to do it. You're just going to die in six months. She says, there's got to be something I can do. She says, well, there is something I can do. She says, what's that? She says, run out today and marry an accountant. He says, will that cure me? He says, no, but it'll make the next six months seem so long <laughs> that you'll won't know. Boom, being in time, right? Um, that's an old joke. And I don't know if you delivered it well, but it fits that. I, I try to get jokes to fit, but my heuristic purpose was to keep them engaged. And that's, nobody sits at a comedy club like this. If they do. Oh boy, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're dead. If if you're in a comedy club and the only thing you hear is the ice hitting glass and nothing else, you're dead. And you've been if you've ever been to those clubs, it's a terrible experience. The comic starts to perspire profusely. It's just horrible, right? Um, but yeah, I'm trying to get them awake and alive. And I think humor is an effort, effort uh, not an aphrodisiac in a sense, but it's a it's a refresher. Maybe it is an aphrodisiac. Maybe it's the it's that what stimulates a little joy uh, and do it. However, again, common sense says you can't go in there and do 90 minutes every day. That makes you a fool or a buffoon, uh, not, not, not a professor. So I think there's a delicate balance, but I think we all know the other version. You've all had, we've all had the professors and God knows I have 
and I've tried not to be that professor who was lugubriously, it's the wrong word. It's not but it's one, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's it, one of my favorites. Yeah, it, it fits in. It lugubriously pontificates in, in a mono, you know, sort of monotone about stuff you don't care about. I would shoot myself if it's such a class again, right? And so I try not to be that professor. It's, it's, so humor, the, you know, as the alternative to boredom. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, actually, because I do remember a few years back when I was still at a university, um, I was taking a, a formal logic course um, with a, a retired press professor. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely loved him. One of the best teachers I've ever had. Um and he was actually working on a new uh, textbook for formal logic. And we, we were kind of the guinea pigs uh, for his draft at the time. And one of the passages, I forget the specific context, but he basically said, you know, here are a bunch of rules that are really important as the foundation for being able to do some of the more advanced concepts going forward. So write it on your cuff. So next class, I walk in there and I've got a um, – a little circlet of paper uh, taped or I should say stapled to my left arm that that like a little cheat sheet has all of the different uh, ones on there. And you're hoping this is extra credit and you're going to get brownie points for this, right? That and also <laughs> my, my desire to show I'm the kind of person who wants to do something like that because it's what they not only is it not what they expect, but you don't expect reality to let it happen. And yet here I am. So, yeah. no, that yeah. was a great yeah, memory. Um. Well, you know what? This has been an absolute treat today, Professor. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Oh, I cannot thank you enough. Well, it's been a pleasure for me as well. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into this episode as well. His latest book, The Sanity of Satire, Surviving Politics One Joke at a Time, co-authored with Abraham Singer, is out now. Be sure to give it a look. And if you have not already, be sure to follow me on Twitter at out underscore tower. That's at out underscore tower. And I will see you once I emerge from the tower. Once again, you all have a great day and take care. Thank you.